So this is not another conversation about GDPR. It is a conversation with a lawyer who deals with data issues. Our guest today, Ian De Freitas, is a litigation and compliance attorney with over 30 years of experience. Our conversation jumps all around the place, but we managed to talk about a few topical issues in the data realm, one being the Lloyd versus Google ruling that happened in the UK, and the other being Project Red Card, where footballers, aka soccer players, are protesting or suing over the illegal use of their data by booking and gambling agencies. So in case you are wondering who Ian is, let me give you a bit of background on him before we start. He leads Ferrer & Co's data IP and tech disputes team. He assists clients in responding to breaches of data protection laws and regulations and follow-on litigation and also advises on compliance issues in the area. His work often crosses borders. He's based in the UK, but he likes to work with the US on some of their stuff. And he was recognized as one of the leading litigators in the UK in the Lawyer Hot 100 in 2011 for his work helping a client recover a vast amount of data that was an information that was unlawfully taken from him. We actually touch on this in the conversation and I ask him what he sees and how that ruling plays out with greater the greater ecosystem of data porting and data stealing, we could say. So last but not least, he was past president of the IP Commission of the Union Internationale de Avocats, an international organization of lawyers, as well as a member of IT, iTech Law. In case you have not ever tuned in before, I am Demetrios Brinkman, and you are listening to Are You a Robot? Last but not least, before we jump into the full conversation, I want to thank our sponsor, Ethics Grade is doing some incredible stuff around ESG ratings. In case you don't know what ESG ratings are, that's where a company will look at other companies and rate them on the non-financial impact they have in the world. So Ethics Grade is doing something pretty significantly, actually significantly different than other ratings companies because they're looking at AI programs and ethics programs within these different companies that we know and love or hate and use every day. They also look at data governance programs and they factor all of these different pieces in together to give companies a scorecard, which you can go and check out at ethicsgrade.io. Right now you can download a scorecard for free and probably get surprised at some of the scores that companies we use are getting and they're receiving. So check that out at ethicsgrade.io or just click the link below in the description. And without further ado, our conversation with Ian. Are you a robot? All right, Ian, it's great to have you on here. I want to talk to you about so many things. And this, I feel like, is going to be a really in-depth conversation when it comes to the way that data is used and abused, which is one of my favorite uh, topics. 
but we also were just saying before we hit record that this is we're, we're going to be free and we're going to let it take us wherever it may take us so that's the the idea we have right now and we'll see how well we do when we get to the end of this recording and and we'll be able to grade ourselves but i'm super excited to have you here i know that many people are probably interested in how you came to be a lawyer that is primarily dealing with all of this data stuff. And as we all know, in 2022, data is quite messy. So I'd love to hear a little bit of the run-up to and your journey thus far. Uh, okay. So, I mean, I mean, I became a lawyer way back in 1990. So, and um, the internet was just sort of kicking off in the, in the 90s. And so I was, I was there when we were trying to work out what it all meant for, for the law. Uh -huh. And um, I, I started off um, advising people who were setting up, uh, you know, platforms. Um, and uh, a lot of it was about that and the intellectual property rights. But but pretty quickly we got onto, OK, there's lots of data here. What, what, yeah. what are we going to do with this data? Who owns this data? And uh, it was pretty free, freewheeling to start with. Um, uh, but uh, as as we got into the sort of the second decade of this century, um, you know, it started to become a problem and people recognized that. And really the catalyst um, was the Edward Snowden allegations and uh. the Ed Edward Snowden revelations in sort of 2013, 2014, which really ramped this up for everybody where everybody was saying, there's a hell of a lot of data out there. We don't know what's happening with it. We think the US government's getting hold of it and various other uh, people. Uh, and um, and also there's a lot of data held by um, people like Google, uh, Microsoft, et cetera, all the big tech companies, yeah. and, and we're losing control. So let, let's try and get the control back. So my, my, my work in this area as a lawyer really started in earnest around about then. And, and of course, we could talk about this, but we then had GDPR, the European yeah. legislation. Uh, we've had other bits of legislation around the world. So it's become a hot topic, a lot more regulated, and uh, lots of legal claims have, have arisen out of all of this. So that's that's sort of the, the, the journey, if you'd like, to where we are now and, and sort of where I am. And, and this is pretty much 75% of my time is taken up with controversies around the use of data oh, connected I it. To, to the sort of issues we're talking about. So it's, a, it's, it's hot for me. I can imagine there's never a dull moment when it comes to the controversies around the use of data. I'm always asked questions. Well, you know, what, what's the answer? And, 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 and unfortunately, I sometimes have to say, I'm not sure. I think mm. it's this. Because, because the way the data is being used and technology is developing, there's so many new applications. And, and it's difficult to work out what that means for the law and for people's rights and also the rights of the, the companies that, that are using that information. So it's constantly evolving. And that's why it's interesting. So how do you feel the law has not been able to keep up? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, so what we've often had to do in the past is sort of take old laws uh, and try and, and match them to the technology. And then eventually, um, you know, legislatures and courts catch up with that and they, they come up with some ground rules. But we're constantly chasing our tails. So, so you know, at the moment, um, all around the world, we're, we're trying to deal with um, sort of online harms issues. So we got some legislation oh. in the UK about that. Uh, and there's some European legislation which is coming through. 
The problem is with a lot of that is that once the legislation comes in, it, it's often outdated. So you're then playing catch up again, and then the courts are having to interpret that legislation, apply it to new situations. So it, it is a constant battle to try and to try and keep up. So with something like online harms, one thing that always fascinates me with that is uh, I know there's the thing that happens sometimes when someone gets doxxed or they get swatted. Mm -hmm. And that's basically for those who don't know, it's when someone online gets a hold of your physical home address and then they call some kind of bad, they call the police and say there's something really bad happening at this address and the police, and this is primarily, I've heard about it in the US because the US loves to use their police force for whatever. And so then they send out the SWAT team and then the SWAT team, you can imagine somebody mm -hmm. that's not really doing much, they just get broken, their home, get, their door gets banged down and the SWAT team comes in and it's guns blazing, hands in the air. Mm -hmm. For someone who it has just pissed off another person on the internet and mm. that person did not feel, uh, well, the person just who was wronged it's it's very harmful for them mm. and it's very it's just not nice to think about but what i always am trying to figure out is how can you get justice for this person and not to mention there's a lot of resources that go into like deploying a swat team to somebody's house yeah yeah i i mean that's the, that's an extreme example but but i mean what i come across in day-to-day -day practice is is not so much that sort of physical interference with people. It's more sort of the psychological damage, which is caused mm. by adverse comments, uh, targeting of people online, uh, fake sites set up to sort of damage their reputation. Mm. Uh, it's that sort of thing. The, the problem is that, that if somebody who is pretty sophisticated is doing that, it's very difficult to find them. That's it. Uh, and and so and so where this leads us to is is where we're all going, I think, which is to say to the to the internet hosts and other people who set up these sites which are being used for for these purposes, that they've got to police them a lot better. And mm. they've got to be a lot more um uh, proactive about making sure or trying to make sure this sort of thing doesn't happen. Um but but it, it is a constant problem. People sort of um, using fake sites to send around fake information about people. And your, your example is an extreme one. But but um, you know much more day to day, I, I I do see it in relation to the the psychological harm that it causes to people, and it, it's really quite significant. And it's difficult to ignore when you're in the eye of that storm. Yeah, and so basically, you're saying the responsibility needs to be put on these private companies and businesses that yeah. are i mean that's the way we're going because we simply can't seem to sort of get to the the root of the problem by getting to the people who are actually doing it the 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 main perpetrators so 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 that responsibility then falls on um on the hosts the 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 private companies that are that are hosting this material the problem with that of course is that where do, where does the line go between exactly, what is yeah. harassment and what is free speech and yeah. and and why you know how can we, is it right that we expect private organisations to be determining organisations like Twitter for example to be determining whether or not this is acceptable speech? Yeah, 
or whether it it flows over into into hate speech or or or, or other other things that the law would say are law would say is unacceptable but but that's that that is where we are going certainly with the current legislative sort of agenda that that we're seeing pretty much globally well and it's already happening right like mm-hmm. if you look at people being censored on youtube for talking about certain things or mm-hmm. people that are being kicked off of twitter for talking about other things a lot of people may think that's a good thing but then like you said it is also very difficult to start to think okay now twitter is the one that decides what is right and wrong mm-hmm. so the the power that is put into their hands is a little bit scary but then also how else could we see this like have you thought through what would be another option um i mean the other way the other way to potentially do it, it, it is to make uh, make it clear that if if people are going to use these platforms to comment they have to they have to be identifiable problem with that uh. is of course that um and and therefore that so that the platform can then can then put them in touch with the people who are complaining and they can sort it out between them the problem with that is obviously that sometimes people quite rightly want to speak anonymously for very good reasons yeah um so I, I'm, I mean, I, I don't have a look. If you're asking me, have I, have I got a silver bullet for all of this? Um, if I did, I'd be a very successful lawyer. <laughs> Probably, I'd have more clients. I'm not. Wouldn't be talking not, to me right now. <laughs> I am not that. Yeah, I'm not. I am not that clever. But I, I think, um, I think the current system, which is that the platforms have sort of said, well, it's nothing to do with us, and 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 therefore walked away from it, has failed. I think everybody accepts that. And so yeah. I think we are going into this area of uh, of making them responsible. Now, what happens with these things is you get these regulations coming in and um, they're often deliberately vague because nobody's quite sure about where they're going to go. But then you get mm-hmm. the courts coming in and the courts interpret them. And after a while, you sort of get to settle down into a practice which people generally find acceptable. I mean... That's what's happened with um, a system called Notice and Takedown, which has been around for many years uh, in the States and also over here, where, you know, you, you would serve a notice and say, please take this down. And then the courts began to interpret what that meant. And th- they've sort of come up with a pretty stable arrangement now for what that means. And people understand what it means and therefore how they need to respond to that. So it's unusual to get a straightforward answer to a difficult problem. But over time, you sort of, develop a practice which most people can live with Mm. all right so let's change gears a little bit and Mm -hmm. talk to me about lloyd versus google so lloyd and google is 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 a very interesting case and it it engages with all of this uh because it is too right yeah very recent Uh, a a ruling in the uk supreme court in november so very recent everybody was waiting for this because it was setting some very important ground rules and the ground rules were about what can individuals do when their data has been misused by a big tech organization, in this case, Google, to yeah. enforce their rights through the courts? And and um, and misused the, here means that they, it was sold or? Oh, no, no, no. Okay. So I'll explain what the, what the background was. So the underlying allegation was that Google had been tracking people's online activity. They've been using something called Safari Workaround to bypass yeah. some privacy settings on iPhones. This went back to sort of 2011, 2012. And um, that had 
had been suggested to have affected about 4.4 million people in the UK, so very significant number of people. And the allegation was Google had then used the data, that the browsing data that they gathered to use it for targeted advertising to people. So the usual model, get the yeah. data, you target the advertising at people, what they're apparently interested in. And um, and so, you know, people, when people found out about this, they weren't very, very happy about it. And, and there was an earlier case, but that was just a few people involved. But, but anyway, there was a guy called Mr. Lloyd, who's a bit of a consumer champion who came along in 2017. That date is important because uh, if he hadn't brought the claim then, then the time limit for bringing claims would have run out. So 2017, he starts a claim against Google. And he not only claims on his own behalf, but he claims on behalf of all of the 4.4 million affected individuals. And he does that under a, a special rule in uh, English court procedure, which is called a representative action. That's where one individual can come along and say, I'm representing all of the affected class of people and I'm going to claim compensation for all of them. And if I get compensation, then I'm going to you know, pay it out to them. And these people didn't have to know. They didn't have to say, yes, you no, do they, this and no, I elect they, you. Correct. They, they didn't have to, uh, as we say, opt in. Um, they do have the right to opt out once they find out about it. So they can say, they can go to Mr. Lloyd or his lawyers, look, I don't want to be part of this. Take me out of it um but but so so, so it's it, it's as i say it's uh it's it's this representative claim where people have to opt out if they don't want to be involved that the the issue was that that though you can only do this where you're representing the 4.4 million people who have the same interest so they've got to have mm. all the same interest in the claim um and in this which case, means uh, yeah well, it, it, it means that they they're all affected in the same way and they're all effectively claiming the same type of compensation. So in this case, Mr. Lloyd said, look, um, 4.4 million people, they've all had their rights deprived. And I say, Mr. Lloyd said, I say that that is at the lowest common denominator, um, all of their rights have been deprived and therefore uh, that lowest common denominator, they've lost control over their data. So just losing control over their data entitles them to some compensation. And I'm going to say it's £750 each. So if I win, Google, here's a bill for, well, you work it out. It's over £3 yeah. billion. Uh, £3 billion for, for, <laughs> so, yeah. So very significant sum of, of money for Google. Um, and also, this is a test case, right? This is the first time this case has yeah. been tested in, in the English courts. So very significant. Because uh, then presumably Facebook would be next, Twitter would be next. Yeah, I mean, there were, there were lots of claims waiting in, in the wings for this decision. So there was there's one pending against uh, TikTok. There's one pending against uh, Facebook. Uh, there's another one involving uh, Google again. So, I mean, there were lots of these claims knocking around, waiting for this decision. So we, we were all on tenterhooks, waiting to oh. see what the court said yeah. in November. Do you want me so to tell you what they said? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I've read the blog post, which we'll link to also in the show okay. notes. But yes, please don't leave us hanging. Uh, okay, so 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 uh, Mr. Lloyd lost basically. So Google won yeah. th this round anyway of the fight. And um, the reason why uh, Mr. Lloyd wasn't allowed to pursue his claims was for really for two main reasons. First of all, that the judges said that simply losing control over your personal data isn't enough. You've actually got to suffer some sort of 
damage in terms of you know financial loss or whatever in terms of what mm-hmm. the data was used for or, or alternative you've got to show you're, you're distressed so pretty upset about what had happened uh, and uh, mr lloyd made no claims about that all he said was just taking away the rights entitles you to compensation court said no second reason um not everyone had the same interest uh, what the court said was that look if you're getting uh, browser information it could be that some people were only looking at stuff momentarily and then you know they left the site some of them could have been tracked for days weeks or months and also what they were looking at could be quite sensitive for some of them, but some of it yeah. might be very anodyne. So, so not everybody would be entitled to the same type of compensation for that. And therefore they don't uh, have the same interest. You can't use this mechanism. So sorry, Mr. Lloyd, your, your claim is finished and we're, we're not going to allow it. That, that was the basis for the decision. And uh, there's a few questions that I have on the tail end of this. Uh, one is, would Mr. Lloyd have been better off just trying to do it as an individual? Okay. So he could, yeah, he could have done. But the problem with that is that his damages would have been, I don't know, a few thousand pounds at most. And he's paying lawyers tens of thousands of pounds to run the case for him. So it doesn't make sense. Well, and there was a special law firm that was his, uh, they basically hired or were doing the attorney work pro bono right and they were looking for some of that three billion that yeah yeah the way, the way the well, yeah very interesting that and it leads on to another point very interesting the way these claims are run as these sort of mass claims class claims you, you you'd call them in the states is that the 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 claimant mr lloyd isn't a risk at all right yeah his he doesn't have to pay the lawyer's fees the lawyer's fees are actually funded by uh, a third party funding funder who's an investment company basically they invest in these claims so that if they win they get a return on the investment they take some of the compensation themselves so it was funded as we say the lawyers uh, were paid by the funder mr lloyd doesn't pay them and also they have insurance just in case google win and then come after mr lloyd for their costs so the Uh. insurer will pick up those costs so it's sort of risk-free for mr lloyd and the class of people and and the people that you can see you get the people that potentially benefit from this if you win against a google is the funders and the lawyers who get paid out first and then and then the the rest of the compensation that's left would go to the affected individuals so 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 there's a yeah go on sorry basically mr lloyd didn't really have to do much he just put his name on the bill and showed up for some court dates and the lawyers were there they're but it's like private equity lawyers almost, or private equity is putting money into paying these lawyers because uh, well, they're looking inv- for yeah, a return. An, an investment firm, basically, yeah. And there are wow. these investment firms which have grown up in the last sort of decade or so, which invest in all sorts of different litigation in return yeah. for getting a, a stake in the in the compensation if they win. So this is this is not uncommon, but it's beginning to be applied as as I've explained to these sort of data protection type claims. Yeah, and, and that business is good. And that's the well. Well, as I said, I told you about the claims that were waiting in the wings for this one, and yeah. they're they're all funded on the same model. So, so um, now, do you foresee all those claims that were just sitting around on the outside waiting for this ball to drop? Now they're going to take a different tactical approach. They're going to well, say, "All right, we're not going to try and get the four point four million, but we'll get like a uh, hundred thousand pissed off people to sign some." form on the internet that says yeah. we don't want our whatever our data being used by these people yeah and that is enough and so that they'll just continue to look for different ways to go sure. after big tech 
Sure, there are there are two, there are two there are two answers to that which are sort of connected. But the 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 first one is, and it's a technical point. This claim, because it was so old, was decided under the old law, the Data Protection Act from 1998. It wasn't uh, decided under the new act, which is the 2018 Act, which incorporates GDPR, which is the yeah. big game changer. And GDPR says you can claim for non-material damage, and everybody still trying to work out what that means uh -huh. you know i told you about earlier about you know regulations and laws having to be interpreted by the courts because nobody can work out what anything means yeah that has to be worked out there's a case there's an austrian case going to the court of justice in the european union on this very point what non-material damage means so we'll wait for that one because it might be that the courts say oh well this is a new law and in fact you can claim for simply having your rights infringed, even if you've not distressed, you've suffered no loss. So we're waiting on that as well. So we'll see what happens with that. The second point is the one you picked up on. Is there a different model for these sorts of claims? The answer is yes, there is. It's called a group litigation order or GLO. This is where people actively sign up to be part of a class. So the lawyers go out and they advertise and they say, there's been this terrible uh, infringement of your rights. Would you like to sign up and be part of this class? People sign up um, and then off you go. The model's the same, basically, funded by a third party, lawyers paid by the third party, not by the people who sign up, and insurance backs the whole thing just in case it all goes horribly wrong. Um, the problem, though, with these GLOs is they do work sometimes. So there was a case uh, settled recently against British Airways, which arose out of a serious data security breach, where... Um, British Airways paid out to a GLO class. Uh, we don't know what they did because it was all confidential, what they paid out in the end, but they, they paid out. So that was settled. So it can work. The problem is the, the lawyers and the funders are all saying it's very difficult to get people to sign up to these schemes, to persuade them to, you know, opt in. And um, the hit rate for getting people to opt in is between 5 to 10% of the effective class. So if you've got a half a million people, you know, you're lucky to get, 25,000 to 50,000, yeah. which then when you multiply the damages by whatever they might say, or get a thousand pounds or something, it, it the model starts to break down. Yeah. Because yeah. of the costs and, and the funder wants their money. You've got to pay the insurer. You've got to pay the lawyers. Are we well, getting pro Yeah, exactly. You have to pay the people that went out and found those people. Yeah. I imagine. And exactly. Yeah. Yes. Well, so, this so, is so, interesting yeah. to me because I would have thought it would be much more successful thinking if somebody calls me up and says, hey, you want to be part of this uh, class action lawsuit that we've got going on against Google because they misuse your data and you don't have to do anything. You just sign right here, put your name, your address and sign. Yeah. And then you could potentially get a thousand bucks in a year or eight years or whatever. Yeah. It's like, well, sure, that sounds like free money to me. Yeah. Yeah, you would think that, wouldn't you? But apparently it's very difficult to get people to do it. I'm often on the other side of these things, defending them. Um, and... Um, and and it's not easy. I've seen the claimant, the plaintiff lawyers struggle to to sign to sign people up. Mm. What one of the things that occurs to me about all of this is the reason why people often don't sign up is they just can't be bothered. Yeah. I, I mean, do they really care? Yeah, exactly. And and so we have this argument at the moment about how do people get access to justice if they can't use these mechanisms or they don't work, and you can't bring the claim on your own because, as I said, it's just not economically viable. But the other side of the argument is, but do people really care? Are they bothered? Uh -huh. And and um, some people are, obviously, and are concerned about 
what big tech companies are doing. But but are there enough people who care to, to do something about this? And and that's the problem I think the claimant lawyers have is getting enough people to care to get them to sign up. That and that's so true because I imagine out of those four point four million that Lloyd was trying to represent, uh, there's probably a significant amount that just said, actually, I like having targeted ads because then I don't get some random hunting yeah. uh, ad when I'm a vegetarian. Yeah. Yeah, I mean so, that, that 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 might be right, or 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 maybe maybe when they're approached by lawyers, quite rightly, they don't trust them. So yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> we, we're not we're not top of the list of people that are generally trusted in society. We're somewhere we're somewhere just above journalists, I think. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. So, uh, how do you look at this? Like this result, what does it mean for the public? And as we're looking at. Mm this whole the bigger scheme of things not mm. having the levers to pull if we do feel hurt sure i mean i, I so we're very focused at the moment because of this case on bringing court claims but there's another way obviously that we can deal with the, with bad behavior and that's through regulators so so you know data protection regulators now have much more powers than they used to because of gdpr and the changes that have taken place so, so we mustn't lose sight of the fact that, that these big tech companies and others who behave, might be behaving badly can be affected by regulation and the regulators have significant powers to find them. Hmm. So, so, so if you're a concerned individual, you might not want to take on big tech on your own. And, and you know, I warn people about doing that because of what's hmm. involved. But, but, but you could complain to your regulator who then could take action and, and could go off and investigate and, 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 you know, levy fines or take other action. And that, that has been happening. And, and um, you know, there have been some big fines that have come out recently. So that's another way to, to, to deal with this, this sort of behavior. So uh, let's look at the other side of the coin, mm -hmm. though. Sorry for cutting you off. If that's if right. you want no? to finish that thought. Now, the other side of the coin is, do you feel like big tech is going to start or have started doing something differently i think they're trying uh or at least that's what they're saying in in public so um you know there are statements made about how how they want to be now the good guys on data and and i think they actually see that as something of a of a selling point and they're all falling over themselves to say that, that you know they they respect people's rights uh -huh. the problem is and I'll, I'll give you an example of this. The problem is that the business model is so ingrained with use of data in the ways that they've been using it for years. It's difficult for them to get off the data drug, as it were, that yeah. they've been on. Uh, and I'll give you an example of that. The ad tech market. So that's the market which we were talking about, targeted advertising, where, you know, you, you're on a site. We've all been there. You're on a site. And, and you've been there for like 10 seconds and then suddenly you get, get buzzed with an ad, which is yep. for what you're looking at, but it's somebody else is another provider. And, um, and that's the ad tech market. That's real time bidding. Now, now that is ingrained in the business model of a lot of these companies. Uh, and that is a problem for them because if they can't do that with the data anymore, and increasingly coming under pressure from regulators to say, you can't do this anymore, what are they going to do? How are they? How are they going to make their money? Are we going to get to the situation where, you know, they're going to have to say to people, "Look, if you if you want to use our services now, it's got to be a paid for service." 
because we can't get the money anymore out of our free business model, which was to use your data because the regulators won't let us, or it's too risky. So now we're going we're gonna to say, well, look, if you want to use our, our pipes and you want to use our um, platforms, you've got to pay for it, like a telecoms company. Or yeah. I mean, this is all, this is all has to be worked out. But as I say, they're, they're going to have difficulty, I think, repositioning their business model away from what served them well for the last sort of 15 years. Yeah, it, I find it so hard, I guess, just because I've grown up with the free internet and specifically free Google. Yeah. Because we've been talking about Google more than anything here to think, oh, I pay $9.99 to be able to use Google Unlimited. Yeah. And, and how a different company would probably come along and just eat their lunch. Because they'll say, well, we don't need ads. We don't need uh, you to pay. We've got a new structure. And mm. so that's, that's interesting to yeah, try and like figure out how that will play out. But, but that raises a bigger question, which is whenever, whenever these companies uh, begin to be developed, they get gobbled up by the big tech companies. By Google, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so they sort of shut down the competition. I'm sorry, I, I should perhaps I quite, shouldn't quite put it that way. But, you know, we see we see uh, innovative tech companies bought up by the big boys, um, yeah. partly to acquire the, the very good technology they're creating. But there is a suspicion that it's mm -hmm. to close down that sort of competition. But look, the thing about that issue around fines is um, some of those tech companies may well say, well, look, this is a cost of doing business. I'm prepared yeah. to pay a big fine. Even if, you know, they've caught me out, fine. I'll, I'll pay the fine, but I'll carry on doing something else, which is, you know, I shouldn't be doing. So, for example, the biggest fine that we've now got in Europe uh, proposed against Amazon, 746 million euros, uh -huh. which is an enormous fine European scales. I know in the States you get fines in the billions, but that is a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and that's where the regulators are going. The other thing, though, that regulators can do is, which is actually more disruptive, is not just fine the companies. They can say to them, "You've got to stop using this data." Oh. So this this data which you've acquired unlawfully, we're going to stop you using it. And 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 if they don't stop using it, then you're getting into the area of, well, we'll go after the executives in the company personally who are you know allowing this to happen, and it gets oh, wow. into a whole world of pain. So. So it's not just fines; it's these. It's also the other regulatory powers that regulators have, and this is this is where the battle is right now. Wow, yeah, that I hadn't even thought about, and I do know that mentality or that philosophy of yeah, this is just the cost of doing business, and I always find that to be really slimy or a really dirty way of doing business. But yeah, it happens, so we can't discard it. Yeah, and we've seen this, you know, for for decades. So, environmental damage from yeah. you know industrial use, where where companies do bad things, they get the fine, but they keep doing what they're doing because you know they can afford the fine and and they make more money by by acting badly. So, you know that that's that's uh, that is a business model. Yeah, so true. So now, tell me about how you helped a client recover an incredible amount of data and information that was unlawfully taken from them. Oh, this was a case, uh, this was a case about um, a, de a decade ago. So, so this was when this whole area of law was just developing. 
and and I had a, I had a client who um, had fallen out with his um, with his his business partners, and um, they shared computer systems. And what happened was that the the business partners decided to take all of his data for a dispute that was brewing between them, and not tell him. Obviously, they just they just took it. Mm-hmm. And so they they took that because they said that to the court, they said later, well, look, we weren't convinced that he was going to hand over what he should hand over when we were in litigation. So we just took it. So took make everything. sure he did. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and um, uh, you know, we said for our client that you can't do this. You can't just sort of go in and, and take effectively the entire information on a computer system just on the off chance that somebody won't um, fess up Give later. Over, yeah, yeah. 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 So look, uh, and that case was groundbreaking because that issue had never really been dealt with before in in the English courts anyway. And it went to the Court of Appeal uh, and uh, we'd had two judgments before. One had been for us and one had been against my client. Uh, And so we needed to sort that out and and we took it to the Court of Appeal and the Court of Appeal agreed with us. And so the information that had been taken had to be given back. And um, and so we resolved it that way. But um, and that that's a that was a pretty groundbreaking case and has been a precedent ever since for similar sorts of cases. Yeah, what uh, that makes me think about, like, what other sorts of cases have you seen? Well, I mean, it, it, it's it's quite common for 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 people to um, to to steal data, uh, and um, you know, people who are leaving um, a particular business and and going to another one and taking client contact details and that sort of thing it's it's quite common and um you know my my sort of day-to-day bread and butter work is often trying to stop that happening once the once we find out about it the interesting thing to segue back into data protection is that you know in the past we used to do that on the basis of uh, an area of law called breach of confidence but now we often use data protection law because the information that's taken is often personal data of, of other people. And the person who's taken it isn't supposed to do that. Definitely. And so we often rely upon data protection law as well now to say, not only is it breach of confidence or your trade secrets, you're taking trade secrets, you're taking other people's data and we're going to stop you doing that. And that's often a more powerful ground to get the data back because um, you know the, the judges or the law wants to protect innocent third parties caught up in a dispute sometimes you find that the the courts will say well you know this is a dispute between two parties not quite clear whose rights these are but when you've got third party rights involved it definitely helps you to sort of get what you want which is basically the information back Hmm. so um so so that's an example of the way data protection has become much more important in the last decade or so as, as these cases have developed but this doesn't have anything to do with uh gdpr specifically it, it does in a way because the person who's taken the information who 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 is controlling that information now as the law calls it um has no right to do that and because they have no right to do that then data protection law says they've got to stop doing it they've got to stop processing it as we say and processing means even just keeping it so so it does actually impact uh, gdpr and in theory in theory uh, you know, you you could find a situation where uh, the regulator could get involved, and there have been cases where people have been taken to criminal court for uh-huh. taking this data now, because there's a provision in GDPR which says that, or in our UK Data Protection Act, which says that that's uh, also a criminal offence. So, so there have been uh, 
uh, fines issued. I, I'm, I'm not sure anybody's been sent to prison for it, but there've been fines issued by, by the courts for people doing that sort of thing. So along the lines of GDPR, I'm anxious to hear what your thoughts are on the cookie policy that seems to follow us around the internet now. <laughs> And yeah. we have to accept all cookies always, or, yeah. or at least click through. There is something, I understand the idea of, of cookies and wanting to notify people that, mm -hmm. hey, there's cookies on this site. Uh, I also have thought about, and I've heard about how the default setting or the default like UI that you get when you are looking at these websites is just you know, the box that's blinking and saying, click me is accept all. Mm -hmm. And then they make it really hard. Some sites make it really easy. They have reject mm -hmm. all or accept all, but then mm -hmm. other sites, it's like manage settings and you go through and you got to scroll mm -hmm. down all of these and click each one off. Mm. And it can be a complete headache mm. just because you want this privacy. Right. And mm -hmm. so I really would love to hear from your side, like, how do you feel about the cookies and the way that GDPR has been implemented? Okay, so 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 the cookies in in uh, in uh, in in Europe are actually dealt with under a separate piece of legislation, um, uh, uh, privacy and electronic communications directive mm -hmm. or regulations in this country. But let's leave that to one side. But ba basically, you're you're absolutely right that the 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 way it's supposed to work is that unless there are central cookies so that means you know they make the site work anything that's non-essential you've got to consent to them basically and it's the consent mechanism which is the problem which is the pain for all of us when we get yeah. those boxes coming up um the way things are going in the uk is that uh there there's new legislation coming up probably this year which will say there should be more things which are allowed by way of cookies automatically. So more things should be deemed to be essential, fewer yeah, things yeah. non-essential. But the non-essential stuff will still be, you know, about consenting to ads and sharing with third parties and all that yeah. sort of thing. Um, now, in relation to the consenting process, the, the UK regulator is getting increasingly um, annoyed about people who make it difficult to consent or who yeah. do what you were talking about, which is basically it's not clear whether you're consenting or not consenting. Mm -hmm. And the default setting should be no consent. And they're increasingly um, making regulatory rulings about that against, um, I had a client that happened to recently, where they said it wasn't sufficiently clear that when you clicked on it, it was a, it was a consent rather than yeah. I don't consent. <laughs> so I think, I think what's going to happen is two things. I think they're going to reset the rules probably this year, but once they've reset the rules, the regulator will come down hard on anybody who's contravening the rules and not making it very easy mm. to say no or, you know, straightforward to say yes. So I, I agree with you. I mean, there are all sorts of tricks and traps that people use to sort of, well, I wouldn't say trick you, but make it difficult for you not yeah. to consent. Exactly. And it's I, not only that, but it's just the amount of time that I've lost since yeah. that law was enacted by clicking on these cookies, I'm very surprised that nobody has created an app or something that just goes to the website before it even loads and clicks on the cookies like, yes, accept or um, 
you get to choose on this yeah. app or the browser plugin, whatever it yeah. is, like I want no cookies or I'm okay with any cookie. And then that yeah. goes through and, and accepts them or rejects them. You, you, I mean, you can, you can do various things through, through the, the browser settings that I'm not, a, I'm not that technical, but you, you can do these things. But the problem is sometimes it's quite complicated, but, yeah. but you're right. The solution, uh, it's always seemed to me the solution is that um, for, for people to sort of have a, a repository, which says, this is what I find acceptable. Yeah. And this is what I don't find acceptable. And that's like a central repository. And then and then where whatever site you're on has to adhere to that unless you say, actually, for this one, I'm okay with you doing this or I'm not okay with you doing this. So it's like a default setting and it just yeah. follows you around. But um and, and we might we might well be be headed to that sort of uh, destination. We do it we do it to an extent in relation to something called telephone preference service. I don't know if you've heard of that, but no, that's that's this? where that's where you you effectively you you opt out of getting you know spam telephone calls. Oh. And if you register on that system, and and anybody then contacts you, they're supposed to check it before they contact you. See, then that is a big no no, and they will get fined by the regulator. So it's that sort of centralized easy to operate system which um we might sort of move towards but look everybody's really annoyed about cookie banners and yeah i mean it's yeah. just it's just broken and it yeah just, it shows and it, yeah we'll see and it, we'll see and as, as a lawyer i get clients asking me lots of questions about that and and you know sometimes they say oh we want more people to consent because it's good for us and can we do this can we do that and we're sort of saying you know you've got to be very careful a not to breach the law and get a regulator annoyed, but also not to annoy people. Yeah. So, and you know, so we have that conversation a lot with clients. And actually, so the other thing that's coming up, I mean, I fear that the way that this last law was enacted, like GDPR, and then looking ahead and knowing that the EU is about to release three or they propose new regulation for three different uh new laws that are around data and also uh, ai and machine learning hmm. and i fear that it's going to just be like manifested like the cookies are and yeah. it's it, that's my my big fear with the new proposed regulation that it's like yes it's great it has great intentions mm -hmm. and the idea is good but then in practice when it actually gets out there it just annoys people and makes the user interface very difficult yeah and i i think i think that's right look i mean um the way the eu gen, gen generally operates is it it's in certainly in data protection terms and in in looking like in terms of art, use of artificial intelligence is to be quite prescriptive yeah mm. And, and to set quite prescriptive rules, which the problem with prescriptive rules is um, uh, then you sort of get uh, a compliance which is is not thought through very well. But also by the time you come to comply, often the prescriptive rules are out of date or they yeah. don't follow the, tr the, tr the real world trend <laughs> where people might not be bothered or they might actually quite like what AI will do for them or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So, so, um, so I, I think that is going to be a, a problem. The, the other problem I think that you were, you were getting at was that you've got all these different pieces of legislation, GDPR, the AI regulation will come up. We'll probably have a AI law in the UK and elsewhere. Um, 
you know, privacy and electronic communications, all of these things mashed together, yeah? Mm-hmm. And it just becomes so complicated that yeah. it's great for me as a lawyer because it's so complicated. <laughs> and, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm advising security. clients until yeah. the cows come home. But, but for, the, for clients and, and, importantly, individuals whose rights mm. these are, it becomes, it just becomes too complicated to understand and too complicated for them to, to, to enforce. And and that's that's a real problem, I think. Um, so so I think I think you're right. At the at the moment, there's so many different pieces of legislation flying around and different proposals, and I I struggle to keep up with what's going on. And you know, I'm imagine. supposed to know what I'm doing. So yeah, <laughs> that's true. So there was something you said before, just when you were giving your introduction about how things really started to kick off when Edward Snowden mm. happened, mm-hmm. and I wanted to ask how you saw the overall ecosystem change and what kind of like what kind of issues started coming up or maybe there was all of a sudden there was that breach of trust. I know I felt like hmm. things got exposed and I as an American we always think that the government is watching us in every moment. But mm-hmm. then it was like actually they kind of are. It's not just conspiracy theory anymore. Mm. So, so yeah, tell me about that. So 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 that that was a, as I mentioned before, it was a it was a pivotal moment. It was a pivotal moment for two reasons. So the first obvious one was the the extent or the 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 allegations in relation to the level of of uh, intrusion and spying that was going on. I mean, I mean, or the at least the mass gathering of of data and and it it being you know uh, in the hands of the of the government. Mm-hmm. But the other thing I think that that it caused was was not only that that intrusion issue but also i think people finally realized the amount of data and how much it said about you as an individual yeah and it it started it's really started that debate as well not just what governments do with it but what big tech does with it or anybody else who gets their hands on it and it it changed the ecosystem in this way up to that point, people like me would say to clients, you know, you're gathering this data, you're using it, it's your data, you, the company yeah. that helped, it's your data. Interesting. It changed. It changed not overnight, but over the course of, the, of a year or two, and as GDPR developed, it changed into a recognition that the companies don't own it. It's mm. owned by the individuals. And in a sense, they hold it on trust for the individuals, trust being the operative word. And 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 they've got to get their head around the fact it's not their data. They don't own it. The individuals own it. That's what GDPR tries to do. I mean, it's not it's not gone all the way there yet, and there's still lots of debates and battles about that. But that was the massive change. And me as a lawyer, I recognised that for the first time, really, that it's about the rights of the individual rather than the rights of the companies who are doing great things with the data, and you know, some yeah. of them had real societal benefits, but but it's still the individual's data. And that, I think, was the moment that, that the world, as far as I'm concerned, the world I work in changed. That's a huge difference going from, this is my data because someone came to my website or used my app and I yeah. now have it, I now own it, to, oh, this is always and forever going to be the individual's data. I just have it on loan, like you said. And yeah. I 
I really am making sure that whatever I do with that does not lose the trust of the individual so that they do not come back and continue to feed me with all this good data. Yeah. And, and the issue really at the moment for society as a whole is that in, in, when you have that conversation with, say, it's a, with a big tech company, but the big tech company says, but we're like a utility. They need us. So they can't vote with their feet. They have to use us. And that's the, that is an interesting dynamic, which, which, which I talked about earlier in relation to how embedded those companies are in society and, yeah. and, and the hegemony they have over data. And therefore, um, how that, that sort of relationship between, oh, I can go somewhere else or use a different system or whatever, doesn't quite work. Yeah. And that's feeding into a different debate, which... Um, you know, at one end of the scale, you've got people like Elizabeth Warren in the States saying, it's not enough to regulate those companies. We're going to have to break them up or re-engineer the infrastructure, which is a which would be a massive change. But but some people are, are sort of drawn to that conclusion that we've got to break it up. Yeah, it's, it's an intense one to think about and think about how, like you said, we can't just choose the alternative service because sometimes I, I think about for me uh, i don't use facebook anymore i don't use instagram or any of that uh happily i'm proudly saying that right but <laughs> there are other ones that i do use and yeah. it's very hard to uh think like and especially if you're if you're someone who is getting your livelihood from these different whether you're like an influencer as as your job, yep. it's hard to just say, well, you know, I don't really appreciate the way that they're using my data. So I'm going to go and do something else. It's like, no, that's, that is your job. So you are going to have to find a new job if you try to do something else. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, and, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm of the generation where, um, you know, I wasn't brought up on this stuff, but my kids were, and, 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 and they'd be horrified if somebody said, let's break up the infrastructure because it just underpins so much of their, their, not only their economic life, but their social, social life. Yeah. yeah. I mean, social it's, interactions. It's, it's, it's so embedded in the way that they, they think and behave and the things that they do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm, that's a great point. So can you talk to me a little bit about the red flag project? Oh, the, the the project red card, the football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. project so, red card. That's it. Sorry. So, 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 so Lloyd and Google is a case that's finished now by the Supreme Court. Project red card is uh, uh um is kicking off. If I could use that analogy, uh -huh. uh, it's about um uh, footballers who um are concerned that um their data, so their performance data, how they perform each week and whether they're injured or not, and all that sort of thing, is being shared with the betting and gaming industry. So the betting and gaming industry, you know, bets on there's bets on football matches and they have uh, in-game betting and all the statistics are there. And but it's all underpinned by by data, personal data yeah. of the footballers and the footballers say we haven't consented to any of this. So so we don't want you using it or in brackets, we'd like some compensation, please, for you yeah. using our personal data. And this is a this is a claim so far about, uh, as I understand it, about 850 footballers have signed up. And it's a, as, as I understand, it, it's a group litigation um, set up. So the one I talked about earlier, which is people sign up for it mm -hmm. uh, and, then, and then it's funded and all of that sort of thing. 
So, so um, that's just starting. Um, they have written to 17 uh, potential defendants who are betting and gaming companies saying, we haven't consented to you using our data. Uh, so stop using it, or at least pay us if you want to keep using it. So isn't that data public? Well, this is the big, this is the big, this is a big misunderstanding. People think that if the data is in the public domain, then it can't be personal data. That's not uh -huh. right. It is still personal data. So you're right. I mean, you know, people could observe me in public and, and you know, what, what can I do about that? But it's when they start to economically exploit that information, not that I'd be interesting enough for them to do that, but when they start to economically exploit that information, that data protection rights come into play and you can start to control that. So, you know, um, photographers taking images of uh, famous people in day-to-day -day situations and then publishing that in the newspaper or online, it's the act of publishing, which is the thing which engages the data protection rights. And somebody can turn around and say, yeah, I was in a public place, but I didn't give you permission to then use that information, my right. data, and process it, I publish it in the, in, to other people. So it's that sort of issue. Um, I mean, look, I have to say the footballers case is a difficult one, right? Because, yeah. I mean, let's, let's just strip it back to basic principles. Betting and gaming companies usually take a license to use this information. They get the license from the football clubs and the football authorities, okay? And they pay a lot of money for that. And that money goes back into the football clubs and the football authorities to put the football matches on and yeah. pay the players' wages. Yeah. So the, the players, I would say, are getting at least an indirect payment already through, through the money that flows through from the betting and gaming companies when they, when they pay the football authorities authorities and the clubs that 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 is when they're licensed that's when the betting and gaming companies are licensed there's a whole subset though of betting and gaming companies who don't take an official license okay. who get this data in other ways i think they're potentially at risk because they are not paying in if you like so oddly what might happen as a result of this claim is it's not the footballers who will benefit but those betting and gaming companies that aren't paying the license fees may say we better pay the license fees. Otherwise, we're going to have to pay the players. Yeah. So, so I think it might actually economically drive more of these betting and gaming companies into actually paying for official feeds of this information rather than you know, getting it unofficially. So. Wow. Well, I've got one last question for you. This has been so incredible to chat with you. I've learned a ton just from this hour. And I want to know, Ian, are you a robot? <laughs> No, definitely not. Or at least I don't think so. Um, are we going to talk about existence now? Are we going to say, are we, are we really here? Are we in some, some other reality? Are we, in, are we in, and this is where it's going, are we in some sort of weird metaverse? I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but, but no, I'm, I'm, definitely, I'm no, definitely not a robot. Excellent. Well, thank you, Ian, for coming on here. This has been a blast, man. Yeah, it was great to speak to you. <laughs>